Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 26 of Superman and Batman, featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together. My name is Michael Bradley, and this is a show where each and every episode, we look at a random Superman and Batman team-up from throughout the years. And this episode, after spending two episodes with guest host Bob Fisher looking at a Silver Age classic, we are going back, back, way back in time for a look at a story that is both from very early in the Silver Age of comics and relatively early in the history of regular comic book team-ups between the Man of Steel and the Dark Knight. This episode, we are looking at World's Finest Comics number 102. According to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, the issue was released on or around April 16, 1959. The issue's got a June 1959 cover date and 32 pages for the price of 10 cents. And the entire issue, of course, was edited by Jack Schiff. Our cover is by Kurt Swan and Sheldon Moldoff, and is the first World's Finest Comics cover inked by Moldoff. Swan had been the regular cover penciler for the book since issue number 73, uh, which was just two issues after the, the, uh, the regular team-up started. And most of those covers were inked by Stan Kay, with Ray Burnley occasionally filling in as the backup inker. Well, Burnley left comics in 1959, and starting this issue, Moldoff became the regular backup cover inker, and continued that for a couple years until Kay retired, at which point Moldoff became the main cover inker until Mort Weisinger came on as editor and replaced him with George Klein. The cover itself shows Batman and Robin standing aghast as Superman headbutts what looks to be a prehistoric caveman. And the caveman doesn't budge. And there's very little text on the cover beyond a one-sentence text balloon from Batman and the story's title, which is The Caveman from Krypton. And the premise might be a little silly, but it is definitely one... Uh, the, the cover is definitely one that teases the story inside, and it's a well-illustrated cover. Um, Swan had been drawing both Superman and Batman long enough that he had a solid handle on both characters, even if he still is somewhat emulating Dick Sprang's look for Batman uh, when it comes to the character's face. And, you know, there are worse characters to ape after all, so... But I I actually like this cover quite a bit. Um, it's, it's just fun. Uh... The question is, does the story inside match? Well, let's find out. Turning inside, our 12-page story was written by Bill Finger, Batman's co-creator, and penciled by Dick Sprang. There seems to be some disagreement about who inked the story, though, uh, with Mike's Amazing World crediting Charles Paris and the Grand Comic Database crediting Sheldon Moldoff for the body of the story and Ray Burnley for the splash. Whoever it is... The art's really fantastic. Just to spoil ahead. When his native planet Krypton exploded years ago, Superman was a champion of justice on Earth. But suddenly, another survivor arrives, and this newcomer possesses superpowers here too. Superpowers that become a menace to Earth. Then it is that Superman, Batman, and Robin team up to launch an all-out fight against the most dangerous enemy they've ever faced... The Caveman from Krypton. 
At a farm on the outskirts of Metropolis, a farmer sees a fiery object flash through the sky and crash in a nearby field. No, this isn't a recap of one of our hero's origins, but present day. A pair of men investigate the wreckage, finding remnants of a meteor and a figure that has been trapped inside. A being that looks like a prehistoric caveman. Seeing the caveman is still alive but unconscious, they cage him as a precaution and the group is soon joined by Batman and Robin, who had seen the crowd while on a routine air patrol. Soon, much to Batman's surprise, the caveman starts to wake and crashes through the cage's bars. Batman and Robin charge to the defense of the crowd, but are easily smacked aside. But up in the sky, a familiar red and blue blur streaks in. Like a rocket, Superman launches himself at the caveman, but is surprised himself when his mighty blow doesn't cause the caveman to even budge. Angered, the caveman throws a tractor at the Man of Steel, before leaping off and crashing into an oil tank. Superman is further amazed when the caveman becomes more enraged and unleashes a blast of X-ray vision, which sets the oil on fire. Superman, with a little help from the dynamic duo, quickly extinguished the blaze and puzzle over the caveman's powers. Superman examines the meteor and realizes it's composed of elements found only on Krypton, and Batman deduces the caveman must have been in suspended animation for millions of years before the planet exploded, and then spent the last few decades in orbit before finally landing on Earth. News of a Kryptonian caveman quickly makes headlines across the nation. While Superman stops a pair of elephants who escaped from a zoo, Batman and Robin spot the caveman robbing a jewelry store. But Batman leaps into action, knocking the thief out with one punch, and revealing that this actually was a fake caveman using a disguise to scare people. But meanwhile, the real caveman sees this and leaps in, rescuing the phony caveman from the dynamic duo. The crook takes the caveman back to his gang's hideout, intent on using the caveman and his strength to rob banks. So, while Superman begins a top-secret project that involves tearing up landscape, and more on that in a minute, Batman and Robin deduce that the fake caveman is Pete Waller, and track him down at the hideout of his gangland boss, Jojo Groff. Unfortunately, the crooks now have the caveman on their side, and Batman and Robin are quickly captured. Even worse, Groff reveals that they have a plan to deal with Superman as well, Kryptonite and set the caveman loose, busting banks. But later, while flying the crooks and their Ford Fairlane back to the hideout, the caveman spots a familiar landscape, that of his home planet, Krypton. Superman had refashioned the land in hopes of distracting the caveman so he could subdue him. The trick works until Groff uses the kryptonite to weaken both Superman and the caveman and make an escape. But... Batman uses his awesomeness to lose himself and Robin of their bonds, and is able to get rid of the kryptonite. The caveman, knowing he'd been double-crossed, goes after the crooks, and the world's finest give chase. The caveman throws the crook's car off a cliff, but a timely rescue by Superman makes sure the crooks can still stand trial. Superman then squares off against the caveman once more, but before either can throw a mighty punch, the caveman collapses to the ground. Dead. Superman deduces that during the caveman's time and space, he must have been exposed to cosmic rays, which, combined with the kryptonite, ultimately killed him. And as the world's finest heroes gaze over the landscape of the makeshift krypton, they decide to let that be his final resting place, 
and take solace in the fact that the wayward visitor might finally be at peace. The end. When I first saw this cover, I didn't remember much about the story. But, I hate to say this, but I, I really didn't have high hopes for the story. Um, it, it's a good cover, like I said, but, you know, it, it is kind of a silly premise. So, I thought it would end up being... Uh, the story I thought would end up being just, you know, silly nonsense mostly. I was really hoping it wouldn't be a repeat of the Alien Superman, but at best, I was thinking it would be just dumb, goofy fun. You know, I, I, I didn't have high hopes for a great story. But boy, was I wrong. And don't mistake me, an alien caveman landing in present day Earth and teaming up with a couple of gangsters is a supremely goofy concept, but this turned out to be one of the better stories from this era that I've looked at on the show. There was a lot of action here, but at the same time, it wasn't just fight scenes and super feats. You know, there, there was actual story and drama, and I might even go so far as to say a lot more than normal for this era. Both heroes had time to shine, and, between the caveman and the crooks, both were presented with what seemed like a real challenge. Superman fought the caveman and, and really didn't have the upper hand uh, due to the, you know, the fact that he was surprised by the caveman's powers. And then Batman and Robin were captured by the thugs and had to free themselves. And it just presented situations where, while maybe from our you know, jaded modern-day reader point of view... We never thought the heroes wouldn't win in the end, but it kept us guessing as to exactly how they would triumph over the obstacles presented to them, which is something that's, I think that's really important in superhero fiction because, you know, you, you know characters like Superman and Batman aren't going to uh, lose or be killed or, you know, what, I mean, they've both, quote unquote, died in their own stories, but at the end of the day, Clark Kent will always be Superman. Bruce Wayne will always be Batman. Um, the the real drama in a superhero story comes in the journey and, and how they get to that end, no matter what is thrown in their path. Um, and really, on on kind of a similar note, you know, it, it could be questioned if the if the heroes actually did have a true triumph here. I mean, sure, the crooks were captured, but the caveman died, and that's not exactly an upbeat ending because as I will talk about in a little bit, you know, this was a Kryptonian who is a link to Superman's past, even if they are separated by millions of years. So, you know, there was story potential there that wasn't really uh, capitalized on or, or uh, focused on, but still, you know, you know, the the guy died, and it wasn't really his fault so much. So, you know, did the heroes actually win in that case? You know, I think that could be could be debated. But the story's strongest point, I think, from a writing perspective at least, is that this story is very, very tight. Uh, Bill Finger got in, he got out, and he didn't mess around. There are some parts that could be trimmed down if the page count was an issue, but there's very little here that I would call padding. 
which was a really welcome change from a lot of Silver Age stories, uh, even good ones, that sometimes were maybe not padded per se, but often would have, you know, random scenes that were there only to show the hero doing something fantastic, or in Batman's case, doing something detective-y, you know, or stopping a criminal or something that didn't really tie in to the main story at hand. Um, another strong point of the story is that despite the no-nonsense pacing, Finger was able to include a lot of smaller moments or sequences that I really, really liked. I liked the slow revelation of the caveman's powers, which takes place over the course of a full page, which is a lot of real estate in a 12-page story. Aside from the cover and the splash that actually spoil the caveman as Kryptonian, there's no indication in the story itself that he's got any special ability, excuse me, abilities until Superman crashes into him. Uh, we then see the caveman throw a tractor and take off flying and finally fire off heat vision, or, or x-ray vision as they, they were still calling it. And it was just really great. And it's too bad that the reveal was spoiled on the cover, but... You know, they they probably thought that the Kryptonian caveman was the best hook for the cover and worth maybe, you know, tempering the slow reveal in the story a little bit. And, you know, for what it's worth, I agree, uh, because, you know, the idea of a Kryptonian caveman, while, like I said, supremely goofy, is really the best hook for the story. Because just teasing a caveman, you know, Superman could take out a human caveman and, and nothing flat. So, uh, but I, I liked the fake caveman robbing jewelry stores as a way to introduce the crooks into the tale. Um, after reading the alien Superman, where one of the aliens first orders of business upon arriving on earth was to rob banks. It was a nice twist to find out that, no, we're not actually going to take that route here. Mercifully, this actually isn't the caveman, just someone trying to capitalize on his appearance, which was a nice twist. Um, I liked the sequence with Batman freeing himself and Robin. I didn't really describe it in detail in the synopsis because it it didn't really it didn't need to be described. But basically, what happens is Batman and Robin are tied up in a uh, in a garage, and Batman makes his his way over to one of the cars and is able to push in the car's cigarette lighter. Which, you know, cars had cigarette lighters back in the 1950s. I'm not really sure if they still do. Uh, probably not with all the, you know, anti-smoking stuff. But anyway, he then pulls he then pulls the, uh, the cigarette lighter out with his teeth and uses it to burn through Robin's bonds. And then Robin is able to, to free Batman once he's free. And I like that because it was a resourceful way for them to free themselves opposed to Batman using some, you know crazy trick that he learned studying Houdini or something like, you know, bat shark repellent or whatever, you know. Using the car lighter to burn through rope might not be as feasible as they show in the comic, but I appreciated the attempt and seeing them do something in the sequence that maybe could actually happen in quote-unquote real life. Even though, as I've said before, I don't necessarily need comics to be quote-unquote realistic. Uh, but then there's the ending, which, while maybe a little bit abrupt, was very unexpected. And 
to be honest, somewhat poignant. Um, there's a tinge of sadness as Superman and Batman are looking over the Krypton-like landscape and talking about it being the caveman's final resting place. And there's just a, a some real some real emotion there. I think that you maybe didn't often see in uh, early Silver Age stories. Now, the only thing really missing from the emotional side of it was, as I mentioned earlier, is that there's really no mention or regret at all from Superman that this was a member of his people. Um, While Supergirl and the Phantom Zone hadn't been introduced yet when this was published, there had been a few other Kryptonians that showed up, but none stuck around for, you know, various reasons. But even though the Caveman and Superman might be millions of years apart genetically, this was a link to his past and his homeworld, and I would have liked to have seen that at least mentioned, um, even if Bill Finger didn't really have time to uh, explore it in a 12-page story and, and whatever effect that would have on Superman. Uh, but the end scene also leads me to some comments about the art, which is awesome. Uh, there's a couple of awkward panels, but by and large, this is Dick Sprang firing on all cylinders. The last panel on page three is a great action panel of the caveman throwing a tractor at Superman. And I, I really appreciate the detail on the tractor and especially the tires because I grew up um, not on a farm like people think of farms, but I, I did grow up in a very rural part of the state and I was surrounded by farms and farmers and tractors don't have tires like those on a car. Uh, they've got tractor tires have huge treads that allow the, the farmer to, you know, get through the the field and the dirt and the mud and whatever they need to drive through. And Sprang gets that detail and, and even the detail on the rest of the tractor and just really nails it, which I appreciate it because I you know, I, I have seen tractors drawn in comics before where it's basically just a big round circle like you would see on a car and and <laughs> that's not how tractors are. Uh, but over on page 5 we have a neat shot of Krypton exploding and this kind of panel is old hat these days but I don't think it was such a regular occurrence in 1959. Uh, in fact I know it wasn't because they didn't start regularly referencing Krypton and uh, you know, its explosion in the planet and whatnot until uh, the late 50s and early 60s, uh, especially when over in the Superman books when Weisinger started taking a heavier hand. Uh, but over on the next page, uh, page six, there's a panel showing uh, several newspapers with headlines touting the Kryptonian caveman. And I've talked about this over on The Thrilling Adventures of Superman and Legends of the Batman. But I love these types of panels. They're They're very old school movie serial or you know adventure film with the spinning newspapers and for the record the three papers we see are the Daily Planet of course the Gazette which in my mind is the Gotham Gazette and the Evening Telegram and there was a newspaper in New York uh, from the I want to say around 1870 or so like the last third of that century until about 1925 or so called the Evening Telegram. It's probably just an absolute coincidence, but, you know, maybe it was Dick Sprang remembering that newspaper from when he was younger. I'm not, I guess I shouldn't say that because I don't know if he grew up in New York, uh, but if he did, 
maybe he was remembering it, or more than likely it's just a, a big coincidence. Uh, but finally, coming back to the last page of the issue, or the last page of the story, just a great page overall, with Sprang using lots of silhouettes and dramatic lighting. The third panel is... Uh, Batman is almost completely in silhouette. There's just a little light on his shoulder and the top of his head. It's still very much Sprang's style, but a moodier look and depiction for the character. Um, More like what will become popular or what became popular in the past 30 years. Altogether, though, I got a huge, huge delight with this story. It was really fun. It had great art. And it had a good story with some real heart. And it's certainly one that I would recommend of the stories from this era that we've covered on the show so far. Um, unfortunately, it's not received that many reprints, which I'll get into after the break, which, which is really unfortunate because I think, I think this is a standout. Despite the goofy concept, I think this is a standout from this era of World's Finest Comics. Uh, but speaking of breaks, right now we're going to take one. And then we'll be back for a look at what else was in the issue and what else was on the stands. It was the dawn of the third age of comics, 15 years after the rise of the Comics Code Authority. The Bronze Age was a dream given form. Its goal? To portray superheroes in a way that was socially relevant by tackling real-world issues. It's a catch-all, a place to explore monsters, demons, gunslingers, gods, and superheroes alike. Writers and artists wrapped in house styles of sophisticated realism, creating the stuff of legends. There is no assurance of quality, but it's our last best hope for comic books. This is a retrospective of the true golden age. The year is 1970. The name of the podcast? Uncovering the Bronze Age. Tune into our feed for regular content at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com. Also home to the Quarterbin Podcast and the Shortbox Showcase. Tangent, an abrupt change of course. Tangent, to go off suddenly in another direction or on a different line of thought. Tangent, a comic event featuring brand new characters with very familiar names. I'm waking up to action dust. I wipe my brow and I sweat my rust. I'm breathing in the chemicals. Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. Find it bi-weekly on iTunes and at greatcrypton.com. In the Tangent Universe, 
You only know the names. If you'd like to read The Caveman from Krypton, as I said, you don't have near as many options as the, the story probably warrants, but you do have three options other than picking up the original issue. First is World's Finest Comics number 161, which was an 80-page giant from 1966 that also reprints the alien Superman, which we covered back in episode 3. Nowhere near as good as this story, but if you're a fan of of this era of the Superman and Batman team-ups, there you go. But you can also find it in World's Finest Archives Volume 3, and a black and white version in Showcase Presents World's Finest Volume 1. And as I think I've said on this show, if I haven't said it on this show, I've said it on past ones, the... uh, Sprang's work in black and white really does look good. Um, He's one of those... I don't want to say rare artists, but they're not as numerous as you might think, but but his art looks just as good, if not maybe even a little better, in the black and white as it does in uh, the color, color, because you can really see his line work, and, uh, you know, he uses a lot of blacks and stuff that really makes it pop, so... Uh, and the Showcase Presents volumes are all, always, always highly recommended from me. But if you'd like to hear another podcaster's take on the story, be sure to check out episode 277 of the Superman Fan Podcast, where host Billy Hogan looked at this issue, along with an issue of Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen. Other features in this book include a seven-page Tommy Tomorrow story titled The Winged Space Raider, and a six-page Green Arrow story titled The Case of the Camouflage King, which is a pretty routine Green Arrow story for this time period. Unfortunately. Or fortunately, if you like Green Arrow. Ad-wise, not a lot to talk about. Pretty much just your normal ads for, you know, candy and junk and muscle building. Uh, There's a house ad that's pretty nice to look at, but it's advertising Tales of the Unexpected and Mystery in Space when they were both the uh, superhero-less anthology books. So, not a lot to talk about there. And there's a uh, a PSA titled Fred Finds a Way, which seems to be about uh, persistence or settling for second best. It's kind of difficult to tell. Either way, there's no superheroes in that one, So now it's time to head on over to Mike's Amazing World of Comics at mikesamazingworld.com for a look at what else was on the spinner rack. And by 1959, superheroes were starting to creep back onto the rack, but there were still a lot of genre books and television tie-ins. But we do have Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, number 37, with the cover feature of The Elastic Lad of Metropolis. And that's not the first Elastic Lad story, but I'm pretty sure it's the second time that Jimmy transformed into his super stretchy alter ego. Uh, That same issue has a story titled The Jimmy Olsen Signal Watch, where Jimmy makes a signal watch for Lucy Lane to summon him whenever Lucy needs help. Wackiness ensues, of course. And the same story also has the first appearance of the Jimmy Olsen fan club. Because if anyone deserves a fan club, it's Jimmy Olsen. 
Challengers of the Unknown number 8 is not only the final issue in Jack Kirby's short-lived run on the team he co-created, but is Kirby's final published work from DC Comics until 1970, more than a decade later. Uh, The stuff he did in the meantime involved co-creating some characters called the... What were they called? The Fantastic Four? The Hulk? Uh... The, the Avengers, I think. It's, it's, it's really too bad that none of those characters ever amounted to anything. Because, you know, Kirby was a really talented guy. The Flash, number 107, sees The Flash taking on Gorilla Grodd. And over in Action Comics, number 253, <sighs> Jimmy Olsen, again, causing problems as he gets trapped in Kandor and a resident of the bottled city named Elgar Kerr who just happens to look exactly like Jimmy Olsen, takes his place on Earth and wreaks havoc. And finally, in Adventure Comics number 261, Superboy meets Lois Lane. Again. For the first time. Or third. Or... They did a lot of stories throughout the years detailing the first time Lois met Superboy slash Superman slash Superbaby and or Kal-El on Krypton, or whatever. And once more, I think reading all stories featuring, uh, let's just say Kal-El, in chronological order, from the character's perspective, would be a very interesting project. But that's it for me this time. Next episode, I will once more be joined by a special guest. And not just any special guest, but the show's first returning special guest. So who will it be? Well, I know, but you don't know that. Well, unless you're the person that's coming to the show again, then you know. But if you're not that person, then you don't know. So you'll have to come back and listen next episode to find out. But we'll be looking at a story from outside the pages of World's Finest Comics. But despite that, it will still have Superman, and it will still have Batman. So you know it'll be awesome. So please come back. That's it for me this time, though. As always, I want to thank you very much for listening. Be sure to write in and let me know your thoughts on the story, or the episode, or Superman and Batman in general, or, you know, cavemen. If you like talking about cavemen, send me an email. Whatever. Or you can leave an iTunes review, or both. I really like hearing from people in multiple ways. Either way, I will talk to you all next time. Goodbye. Bradley. Feedback can be sent to michael at greatcrypton.com. I love hearing from listeners, so be sure to send your comments, questions, and other feedback, and I will likely read that on a future episode. 
Show notes, information, and back episodes can be found at greatcrypton.com. Be sure to follow the show via Facebook and Twitter, and subscribe via iTunes or RSS feed so that you never miss an episode. If you subscribe via iTunes, be sure to leave a review. Not only does it help others find the show, but I'd love to read that in a future episode as well. Superman and Batman is a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, home to many great Superman-related podcasts. Be sure to pay them a visit at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Batman was created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger, and both characters are copyright DC Comics. For more about Superman's creators, be sure to visit my blog, Siegel and Schuster Mythmakers, at greatcrypton.com slash Schuster, where I commemorate the lives, works, and legacies of Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. I want to thank you again very much for listening and invite you to come back next time for another episode of Superman and Batman, featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together. Yabba dabba do now. 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 The closing song for this episode was Bedrock Anthem by Weird Al Yankovic from his 1993 album Alapalooza. If you like this or other music heard in the show, support the artist by buying the music. And the best way to do that is by visiting 2TrueFreaks.com. Click on the banner in the upper left corner of the site and be redirected to Amazon.com. Buy an MP3 or physical copy of the song, or even Weird Al's latest CD of auditory awesomeness, Mandatory Fun, and Two True Freaks will get a little kickback on every purchase. So not only will you get good music, but you'll be helping out some of the hardest working folks in podcasting. And best of all, it won't cost you anything extra. Kashmir, Rajneesh, is it how many minutes for the burrito again? Two minutes. One minute. Two minutes. One and a half. Two minutes. Ah, make up your melons. Uh, Is it one or two? One and a half minute. Okay. Okay, my friend. Try and experience what I'm about to chirp in your lobes. Okay, cool? Uh, Today, buddy, we're going to discuss grindage. Have you filled the furnace, packed the cheeks, uh, and stuffed the gills? Okay. You're probably used to eating twigs, right? But out here in the U.S. of age, buddy, we got something called the four basic food groups. And Link, this is not one of them. Oh. Look at what we have here. Dairy group. Milk duds. You hide these under your pillow, bro, so your mom doesn't find them. If she does, you're twig, buddy. You keep on cruising. Fruit group. Sweet tarts. These are... Killer, buddy. So citrusy, dude, you'll freak. Keep on cruising. Uh-huh. Hey, this is the vegetable group. Vegetable group. 
floor mats. Oh, I'll put them on a pedestal, bro. Look at that. Yeah. That's a kill, huh? Meat group! Come on. Take the meat group. These are my favorite. Oh. <clears throat> hey! You gotta be equal. Equals. 50-50. Huh? Here. Mm. Mm. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Figures hot on the outside, icicle in the middle. Two minutes. <laughs> but you like that, right? Because you're a caveman. Cool, buddy. <laughs> the beverage. Icy, bro. This is what put this place on the map. Oh. What are you doing, Mrs. Tony? No, 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 you can't do this. You can't do this here. Now, now, you must leave now, please. Look, Kashmir Rajneesh, why don't you just chill? No, but still. Link and I are cruising the mountain, bro, and we figure we's a little juice. Ooze. No, we think the juice. We the juice. No, 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 we think the juice. No, we think the juice. Hey, 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 hey,